0: the very first episode of Opening Doors, where we engage creators, producers, and fans of musical theater in discussions and interviews about their passion for the art form. In this episode, I interview Lonnie Price, the originator of the role of Charles Kringis in "Sometimes Merrily We Roll Along. Lonnie has just released The Best Worst Thing That Ever Could Have Happened, a documentary about the original cast's experience of that infamous but brilliant musical. The film will be available for download on iTunes very soon, and we will post a link to it on our social media platforms when it is. For those unfamiliar with the show, Merrily We Roll Along tells the story of three friends, Frank, Charlie, and Mary, their artistic careers and their personal relationships, not to mention their pie-in-the-sky dreams of their youth. Most importantly, the whole thing unfolds backwards. Hello. Hi.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you? I'm so excited to talk to you.
1: Oh, that's very nice. Um, I'm just gonna get my I'm gonna get my headphones on. Uh, you know, what would be best for you guys is if I do headphones.
0: Um, actually the sound works pretty well without headphones, so you don't need them.
1: Uh I th- let me let me try them though, because I'm with someone and I just don't wanna disturb them so much. Hold on one second, oh, see if sure. these are these are really high end, so <laughs> How is that? How is how is that working for you?
0: That's working great.
1: Yeah, is that cool? Mhm, totally. Oh, excellent. Okay, very good then.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lonnie.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Um, so uh, just to start off, um, you open the film with the phrase. Uh, Life can only be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards, which is a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, I'm pretty sure.
1: Um, Yes, you're right. Uh
0: (laughs) And um, of course, the quote relates to the characters in Merrily because uh, the audience gets to understand their life um, backwards because we see it backwards. Um, But could you explain kind of if it had any type of relation to you and your life? Um, especially throughout the process of making the film and getting to look back at yourself the way we get to look back at Frank and Charlie and Mary?
1: Sure. Um, well, um, I, I think the uh, the Kierkegaard quote is really true. I mean, as you're living your life, I think you don't, you know, kind of, uh, it's hard to live it and uh, watch it at the same time. But if you're, um, you know, when you get to be a certain age, I mean, when I when I turned 50 you know, I realized, um, you know, it's a kind of milestone and sort of looking back of, you know, as the show says, how did you get here from there? So um, it became, the past became more interesting to me uh, in sort of charting my um, evolution uh, in my life as to, you know, why I ended up where I ended up and the kind of person I became and all of that. So, you know, for all aspects of your life, you're career and your personal life, just, um, you know, the only way to really um, understand your life is to look back at it. It's not while it's happening. So um, I think, you know, I I don't know if that answers your question, but that was sort of the impetus. And in terms of making the film, um, you know, I I learned a lot about myself and um, certainly about my friends and, um, you know, things I sort of knew and, then you know were, were confirmed and things I didn't know I learned, so um, it was a very uh, very interesting process for me and it was a nine year process it took a long time, so um, I'm 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 glad to have, be at the end of it and I enjoyed uh, doing it mostly but it was tricky it's a uh, hard form documentaries.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> and, um, and this was your first uh, feature film. Or a feature documentary Yes, um, that's
1: right
0: and it's it's interesting because I think uh something about mely is that um, it deals a lot with the excitement of doing new things and kind of opening new doors right and yes. for for you doing this film, did it feel like like did you have that kind of excitement of uh starting new things like? In your youth, um, like that you probably had when you were doing Merrily because it was a, so, like a new chapter in your life and a new exploration.
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, nothing will be doing Merrily when I was twenty-two. I mean, there's no, there's no equivalent to what that meant to me because also you're never, uh, you're never twenty-two again, and and the, that age where you can invest just everything every part of your life in, into that you know, project. And um, happily, I'm not that person anymore who is, um, can get as wrapped up in something to that degree, you know, where it's, you're in a very vulnerable place when you, you know, are that um, committed, that attached to something. Um, so I think it was appropriate then, and I think it would be probably less appropriate now if I were to you know be that same guy, so um it was um it so I didn't approach the um the documentary with the same kind of fervor or excitement as the show. The show for me in those years was everything, and um happily now, nothing professionally is everything. My life is much more rounded and um, full with other things. and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good. I think that's progress and that's growth, and that's growing up, which is also what the film is about, is, you know, growing up. So um, I hope that answers your question. I, I, I don't know.
0: Totally. Um, uh, I want to talk about uh, something that Hal says in the uh, the clip from the the first read-through um, yeah. about how young people know something that older people don't or have lost along the way. Yes. Um, and I feel like, Um, if I had heard that, like, well, I guess I have, (laughs) I am that age right now, but, um, hearing that like makes me really want to be conscious about not losing whatever it is along the way, um, really knowing what it is. And like, was that something that stuck with you when you first heard him say that?
1: Well, I, I think that, you know, um, you know, the whole idea of selling out whatever that means to people And, um, not losing the, um, not not losing your way by making decisions that, um, cost you so much that you're, you're not who you are anymore. And, um, so I think that that's kind of what he's talking about. I think it's, you know, it's to thine own self be true. I think it's Polonius. It's, um, um, excuse me, just making sure that you don't lose your way and, Keep remembering what is important to yourself and to you know to being a good person and you know I think um, you know Frank you know is argu- arguably someone who loses his way and so this is in some ways a cautionary tale as to be careful of being seduced by bright and shiny things and losing your uh, the initial um, inspiration uh, for why you wanted to do something or be someone. So, um, I think that's, I think that's what he's talking about. Um, and I think I have in general monitored that. Um, but life is complicated, you know, in, in my earlier years, I would have, you know, been much more critical of Frank. And now I feel a little bit like, well, you know, he made the choices he made and who are we or anyone to say you sold out or, you know, you didn't fulfill your promise. Promise to whom and to what? So I'm I'm not I'm not sure that I um necessarily uh, am, judge him harshly or people who other people can say sold out. Life's complicated, you know, you do what you have to do, you do the best you can and sometimes it's not what anybody expects you to do, but that's what you need to do for your own for your own life and, and that's okay. I think it's much less black and white. I think it's all a little more complex than um, selling out or not selling out or being true to yourself. I think that's a very personal thing. And, you know, we can tend to look at people and say, oh, they haven't been, but we don't know. Uh, We don't know what their, you know, their personal lives are and what they had to, what choices they had to make to accommodate them. Um, But I think, you know, checking in and making sure that you haven't lost the impulse, the initial impulse to be creative or to be, um, you know, a decent person is a, is a good thing to do.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, excuse me, Abby Pogerbin uh, she talks a lot about that and, uh, in the film and, um, kind of about how it's important to, uh, stay true to your dreams and remember like what your goals were, um, from the start, but not to the point that you know, not to the detriment of yourself, right?
1: <clears throat> well, um, I mean, not to the point where you're, it's, you're, it's, um, you're sacrificing your life for it. That the that the the cost of it is too high. The cost of um, holding on to your fantasies or your dreams, um, it starts to not make sense after a while if you're not being somehow rewarded for them or uh, accomplishing them, uh, then it's, um, you know, that can be very difficult uh, for your life. If you, you know, if there's, you know, somebody who, you know, wants to be an actor, say, you know, and um, doesn't get jobs and, you know, winds up, you know, waiting tables in New York for 40 years, um, that's quite a cost to hold on to that dream. Um so I guess it it's about, you know, what you're willing to do to hold on to your dream, the cost of holding on to it and the cost of giving it up. And I guess everybody has to make that choice for themselves.
0: Yeah. Um uh so do you think your life has uh mirrored the lives of the characters in the show in any way, especially now that you have looked back at um your younger self, like, do you think there are similarities at all?
1: Um, I, I guess so. I mean, I guess I'm a little like Charlie in that I kind of stayed doing something that I thought was um, meaningful to me and um, didn't didn't overly compromise that, you know, initial uh, impulse. So, I you know, I think so. I'd like to think I'm a little less self-righteous than he is. Um, because I think he's a little judgmental of other people. And um, I think I've grown to be less so and to understand that uh, circumstances are particular to everybody and, you know, judging them is not, um, you know, not not so cool. Uh, but in terms of, you know, sort of staying in the theater and, you know, kind of making my life here, um, I think that's a little like Charlie. So I think I'm... i kind of wound up a little like him.
0: Mm-hmm. I, was, um, I was really moved by your statement uh, from the original footage uh, where you say, this show, if I never do anything again in the rest of my life, I will have had this moment. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. And um, it's interesting because you do do a lot after the show, uh, even after it closes. And uh, the, the second half of that quote is, um, if I get hit by a truck the night after the opening, I don't think I'll care. And uh, you didn't get hit by a truck, but the show kind of did.
1: Yeah, that's very um, true. You're absolutely right.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but you seem to have, uh, have not cared. You, you clearly did a lot after the show ended, but um, initially did you have your doubts um, after it closed, uh, as many of, the castmates of uh, your castmates did, you know?
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was um, it was devastating. And, you know, we wonder if you'll ever get another job or certainly, you know, I was I knew and it came to be true, that I would never have material that good as an actor. Certainly as a musical performer, you're never going to get songs that are better than that. So that was it didn't ever get better than um, the opportunity to do that material. Yeah. But uh, I got very lucky in that I got a straight play, uh, Master Harold and the Boys, later that season. So by the spring, I was on Broadway in the title role of a beautiful play. So um, in a way, I got saved. Um, So I didn't have that. But, you know, as an actor, even as a director, you don't know when the next job's coming. It's very precarious. There's no security in any of it. And um, it's all a little frightening. It's less so now because, um, you know, I have to look back and say, okay, well, I haven't uh, over the last, you know, 40 years uh, starved or, you know, landed on the street. Or so there's there's enough of a track record to say, okay, that's probably not going to happen. But when I was younger, I just didn't know what the future would be. I mean, that's also part of the film is we just don't know in in our 20s what our life is going to be and um, you can't predict it. And then when you turn 50, it's never what you planned. Um, so you just have to, you know, kind of uh, life happens to you and you do the best you can. But um, if someone would have told me, you know, the day after Meryl closed that I would be a director, I would think they were nuts. I had no interest in it at that point. And, you know, just, you know, things happen and you try different doors and one opens and you go through it and you like it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to plan, uh, anything. And, uh, and life is a bit bunch of surprises, I think.
0: Yeah. Abby talks about that too. In one of the original clips where she says, uh, Frank, Charlie, and Mary don't know who they're going to be when they're 40 and neither do I. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's really important to remember. Um, mm. uh, and speaking of the the show uh, originally not uh, not succeeding, um, I, I just want to know about what it was like to watch your heroes experience a flop. Because, you know, I feel like it, you could either feel really disappointed or disillusioned in them, or it could sort of encourage you, um, because you can see that they're actually just humans, and everyone has their like failures, you know. It humanizes
1: them. Yeah, um, I guess it did humanize them, but I also thought they were doing great work on it. I mean, you know, I watched, you know, in previews, it kept getting better. So um, I didn't, I guess, have the expectation necessarily that, you know, we would it would be perfect when we began. And I never lost faith that they would make it better and make it great. So um, they didn't stumble that much to me. I wasn't seeing them as failures in any way. Um, I just thought they were doing their work and, um, my job was to do my job as well as I could. And, um, hopefully, you know, if I did that, that I wouldn't be a problem and, you know, uh, they could, they could work on what they needed to do. Um, so I, I, didn't have, it wasn't very resonant to me that the idea for other, as it was for other people that they failed or that my heroes were knocked down, they really remained my heroes. And I sure didn't judge their, the, the totality of their work based on that one show, even while I was doing it, I still thought they were geniuses and, um, I was just so happy to be uh, in their presence and, you know, part of their, their latest adventure.
0: Right, and I I totally agree because Merrily is actually my favorite musical, so oh, I, I'm so glad that's I, great. Um, yeah, the the podcast is actually named Opening Doors.
1: Oh, um, that's fantastic.
0: Um, but yeah, what it, what I think I mean is um, seeing that like even if uh, if the public initially uh doesn't take to something it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, I think there's a, there's a song in um, the musical title of show, if you know it, uh, called Nine People's Favorite Thing, and it's about not necessarily something can be good without being uh, a hit.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it, that's, I mean there's, there's quality and there's popularity. I mean, if you look at the highest grossing movie of the year, it's probably not a movie that you think is the best movie ever made. But it's very popular. So um, I'm not sure that popularity has a whole lot to do with um, quality. Uh, Sometimes it does. uh, Sometimes it doesn't. So, um, yeah, I I mean, uh, I think flop and hit are more probably should be looked at in financial terms. If it shows a hit, it made money. If it shows a flop, it lost money. But I don't think that has anything to do with the, the quality of the material or the Performance or anything. I think um, you have to separate that because some of your favorite things, you know, didn't do well. I mean, I love Follies and it never made its money back. Is it a flop? I don't think so.
0: I love Follies. <laughs>
1: yeah, and you love Merrily. Now, I why do you like Merrily so much? What is it about it that makes you happy?
0: I think, um, well, I was exposed to Merrily at a very Formative time. I mean, I suppose I'm still in a formative time. Uh, I'm still a teenager, but uh, for me, I was um, really discovering who I was as a person, and I I think I just related a lot to uh, to Frank, Charlie, and Mary at the uh, at the end of the play when they're closer to my sure. age. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I understand absolutely. I'm so glad that that it had that effect on you. That's wonderful
0: yeah um, um so go from here. <laughs> sorry um so in the in the film uh near the beginning uh steve says something about having a kid's arrogance when he started writing musicals um and i was just thinking um about how you were just so confident in, uh, writing, uh, he and how letters, you know, when you were a teenager, do you think that you kind of had like a kid's arrogance to, to that?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, it didn't seem so weird to me to, to, um, to write those letters. Um, I just, uh, I kind of had, I mean, the worst that would happen was they would ignore them or they wouldn't, you know, they would say, you know, get away from me, kid, you bother me. But I don't know, it never, it, it just um, didn't seem so brave at the time. Um, but a lot of people have said that, oh, that was very confident. But the other thing is, I had read that, that um, Hal Prince had done that with George Abbott. So I thought, oh, okay, well, that's how you do it is you write letters to people and see if they will meet you. And um, hopefully, you know, have some kind of relationship with them and get to see their work. And I don't know, it didn't, it didn't, um, to me, it was not, it didn't feel brave. Um, it felt determined. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was just very determined. And, um, uh, but I guess it was a little bit, it, it was a little bit brave, I suppose. It, it didn't seem so at the time, though.
0: Right. And that, Let's talk some more about Sondheim because we both love him. <laughs> well,
1: wait a minute for a second. You, it's pretty brave of you to do this podcast.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I guess I was really nervous before um, before I called you.
1: <laughs> well, do you, do you do you think it was? How, how, do you considered brave? Were you just you know, or you just wanted to do it and you were determined to do it? You weren't, you know what I mean? You you yeah, did some-
0: I guess it is. It, it, it is determination. It's something I really want to do, and I I figured. Yeah, I figured. You either wouldn't have time <laughs> to talk to me, right. or, uh, or uh, I get to do it.
1: <laughs> See, so you know, I mean, I, I guess we're both brave there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there
1: you go. All right.
0: Um, so, do you remember uh, the exact moment when you uh, when you realized like how great Sondheim was? Because you talk in, about uh, in the film. Listening to his records um, in your room, like to the point where they are worn out, and uh, it's funny because I don't have a, a vinyl, like a record player. But the only uh, I own a Merrily uh, record just for decoration in, uh, <laughs> in my room. It's the the original cast recording. I just keep it uh, there. That's <laughs> so
1: sweet. Oh, that's lovely. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, sure. I was. Um, I saw a company when I was eleven. And um, I fell in love with the sound of his music when I was a little kid, when I was 11 years old. And I never changed my mind. So um, I remember very much that the sound of his music was very thrilling to me and uh, still is. So, um, yeah, that moment was very um, particular. Um, And uh, I I remember it well.
0: That's funny because I actually saw Sunday in the Park with George when I was 11. It was the same thing.
1: (laughs) There you go. See, yep that's a very impressionable age and you know, you start to sense what you like and, um, what appeals to you as opposed to what, you know, people tell you to like. And, um, anyway, so you had the same experience just, um, several decades later.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, I just want to know what were your reactions to, uh, to seeing people that you spent such a formative time in your life with probably, after, uh, drifting apart. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you didn't drift apart with everyone, but, um, did any of the interviews in particular uh, bring up sentimental emotions or stuff you didn't expect?
1: Oh yeah. A lot, a lot of them. Um, mostly I didn't expect how much it all meant to them. And, um, that was very, um, you know, that was very, uh, moving to me, I guess, or just impressive that, um, you know, the, the experience was so seminal and people had done many other things. It's 35 years ago. So, I mean, people obviously um, filled their lives with many things since then, but that this was so important to them and um, that it meant as much as it meant was surprising to me. And also some of their particular journeys, but in general, the people I, I knew, you know, a smattering of what lives had turned out to be. So the particulars weren't as interesting or not not that they weren't interesting, but to me as the, um, uh, as the fact that, um, that experience that was only, you know, what, 10 weeks long, 35 years ago was so seminal to them as it had been to me. So that was, um, but I thought I was, you know, because of my affection for, their, Steve's shows and Hal's shows and the music and all that, I thought that it meant, not meant more, but had a deeper impact and I was wrong about that. It had a huge impact on almost everybody.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's that um, sharing of the past um, in such formative years, I think, that even if it was only for 10 weeks, it ends up meaning a lot just because of the time and place
1: Yes, I agree with you. Absolutely.
0: And, uh, in, uh, in some of the interviews, it, it seemed like, uh, a lot of your castmates had experienced moments of anger or disappointment with, um, the way their lives had played out post Marily. Um, but the whole time you seemed very, uh, philosophical and like, okay about it all. Um, I wonder if you had any moments of frustration like during your career path or like in attempts to follow your dreams after Merrily.
1: Oh, sure, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, the closing of the show was devastating to me. I I, I can't, you know, I was just completely in the gutter and depressed and all of that. And, um, you know, and all through my career, it's been, it's hard to, to, work consistently in, in, in show business. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I was, um, during the process, I wasn't depressed. I was depressed when it was over because I just want to get to do it more. I just really loved playing that part. So that was really sad that I couldn't do that anymore. But, um, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, this is, um, You know, I guess you you get a little philosophical, as Kierkegaard said, looking back. uh, You can't, when you're looking for understanding in your life, you get philosophical, but um, there's no question that it was, um, you know, this is, to be in show business, there's a a great cost to it, you know, having no security and um, hard to have relationships and you're, going to work when other people are coming home and always looking for a job and your finances go up one year and down the next. And, you know, it's, um, it's not for the faint hearted. You have to have a, you know, have a lot of armor and um, grit to hang in there. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah. A, it's, 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 it's rough out there. And um, I, in a way I'm hoping that the movie, also shows that so that people who think, oh, well, maybe that's not for me, or maybe they want to do it, you know, in an amateur way, uh, which I think is really good because you get to, you know, have a normal life and you get to, you know, um, act or direct or whatever you want, but it's not your livelihood. It's um, your passion. It's your, um, and I think that that, um, when it's your livelihood, it's really hard, I think. And I've been done fine at it, but, you know, it's uh, not without some sacrifices, uh, which are not small.
0: Yeah, there's something to be said for turning your your passion into work as opposed to uh, leisure time or pleasure.
1: That's right. That's right. As soon as you have to make a living at it, it, it perverts it and poisons a piece of it. Whereas if it's just for the love of it, and then you do that on the weekends and the evenings, and um, I think that's in a weird way a kind of more pure expression of that love for it, because it's not, you know, weighed against being a star or you know money or fame. You know, those are those are things that are separate from your passion to be creative. So if you can fulfill that. Then, you know, make a living doing something that's a little less unstable so that you, you know, can have nice things and take vacations and not, you know, not worry so much about where your next dime is coming from.
0: You can actually um, afford to go see shows.
1: That's right. I mean, the show, <laughs> I'm do- the show I'm doing now, Sunset Boulevard, the tickets are $200 apiece. Yeah. That's too much money. That's a lot of money, you know, that's too much, it's much too much. You know, I mean, you can get cheaper seats, you can sit, you know, in the balcony for $65, but, you know, that's, that's a lot of money to sit in the balcony. Um, So, you know, life is expensive. So, and, and the theater is not a place where, you know, they, there's a line, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. And that's true. <laughs> that's true. You know, so anyway, I'm not to, not to be depressing about it, but. I do think you know do you want to be Meredith do you want to be an actress or a, or a writer or a director? What is your passion
0: well i uh currently I'm in school uh, and I'm studying theater uh but I'm also studying philosophy and uh and film um, good for you i'm I'm trying to keep stuff open uh but it is it is the dream to be an actress, but um it's you know those thoughts definitely cross through my head where you know. I could totally just do acting on the side as opposed to um, really pursuing it as my livelihood. But, you know, being a fan of Merrily, it, it makes me feel like, am I giving up on a dream?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, you know what? You can pursue it for a while and see how it feels. But if your dream is to be a star or your dream is to be an actress... If your dream is to be an actress, you can be an actress and you never have to give up that dream. If you want to be a star, um, well, then that's that's a different thing. That's that's something else. And, you know, weighing what the value of that is. But if you just love to be on stage and you love to sing or you love to act, whatever, you can do that. No one can take that away from you. You know, it's just you, you have to if you're doing it as a profession, you have to let people let you do it. And it's just much more competitive and and harder. Um, but you never, you can always be an actress no matter what you're doing. So I would encourage you to look into the amateur theater thing because, you know, it's, um, you know, you'll get to play the best parts and you'll get to do it. Um, and you'll get to do the best shows cause they only do hits. They don't do things that are not good cause you know, <laughs> they're not writing them. So yeah, I mean, check it out. It's, um, it's, uh, it's not giving up that's, that's not, I don't really think of it that way, honestly. Um, I think it's um, doing it with some sense, you know, it's doing it rationally as opposed to, you know, you're a gambler when you go into show business because there are, uh, you know, a thousand girls who can do what their, what the role is and they're only going to pick one. So you're throwing your dice, you know, to hope it's you And it's not, as Abby says, a meritocracy. It's not only about how good you are. It's about a lot of things that you have no control over. So it's kind of gambling. And if it's not something you want to do, yeah, I mean, you think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, as I said, you'll never, you'll never lose that thing about acting. You'll always get to do that. No one, you know, there's, there's a lot of amateur theater groups out there. And uh, I think it's I think it's a really beautiful way to express yourself theatrically.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, so uh, it's a terrific film. I absolutely Thanks. love it. I've uh, seen it three times.
1: Oh, I'm
0: um, so glad. I went. Uh,
1: how, are you, how are you able to quote it? You even I don't understand. You, you saw it three times. ago? Doing direct quotes—that's very impressive.
0: I think i, I found uh, the the one from you. That quote I found um, online somewhere. But, oh good. Uh huh. But uh, the other quotes, I just—I took my notebook to the to the screenings and I just wrote stuff down. Um, yeah, I was actually there the day you did uh, the Skype interview. Uh, oh. To Toronto, but uh, I had to leave because I had a rehearsal. Because um, I'm in Assassins right now. <laughs> I had a Good rehearsal. for you.
1: Good for <laughs> so you. I didn't
0: see you. the whole interview, but um. Uh, you
1: got you got a personal one, so it's it's yes, you got I a did. better one.
0: <laughs> um, Meredith,
1: can I ask you how old you are?
0: I'm 19.
1: Uh, well, you're you're doing great, and, and I I think you have a lot of, a lot of bravery and chutzpah and all kinds of wonderful <laughs> things, and I, I I wish you well. And I hope someday I'll get to meet you.
0: Thank you. I hope to meet you too someday. I, I really enjoyed talking to you.
1: I did. I did too. And, and um, uh, I wish you well with your podcast. I love the name of it. I hope, I hope it goes <laughs> great. And, and if there's anything I can ever help you with, you, you, you let me know, okay?
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Lonnie. It's
1: my pleasure. Have a nice day. And, and when does Assassins open? Soon? Oh, or Assassins
0: opens uh, March 9th, 10th, and 11th.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> those just well,
0: those I- three days.
1: Perfect. Well, enjoy, it. enjoy it. It's an amazing piece and uh, I'm sure you're going to be great in it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: All right, Meredith, I'll, I'll, we'll see each other some other time.
0: Yes, I hope so.
1: Okay. All right, <laughs> you take care. Bye. Bye-bye.